to the Freewheeling Podcast. We continue our interviews for the off-season with a chat with Ella Harris. Amy caught up with the young Kiwi to talk about her experience with the Zwift Academy and her time with Canyon Sram Racing, as well as her move to Lakol Wahoo next year. They also chat a little bit about what Ella gets up to when she's injured, which unfortunately has happened quite a few times during her career. But before we dive into this conversation with Ella Harris, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. It's super easy to get started with Zwift. All you have to do is download the app onto your computer or Apple TV or iPad. I personally love using it on the iPad because it's really easy to open the app and get everything going and then I can watch something else on my computer at the same time. Once you've downloaded the app, it's super easy to connect your equipment. If you have a smart trainer, it's so easy. You just connect it via the Bluetooth, but you don't have to have a smart trainer for Zwift to work. You can also connect via most speed sensors and power meters, and then you just start playing. You can pick which world you ride in. You can pick which route you do. To get going, Zwift offers a seven-day free trial so that you can try it out and see how you feel about it before you subscribe. I can't say enough about how much I love Zwift, and I think once you try it out, it's hard to stop. So thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. And now let's get to know Ella Harris. Welcome to Freewheeling, Ella Harris. Thank you. <laughs> how are you today? Um, good, thanks. Yeah, just just chugging along. Good. Good to chat. I mean, I was just saying off mic, the last time we formally did an interview was uh, 2020, the cursed year of 2020. Sat mm. on, a, on a cold step with a coffee <laughs> that you actually called a gutter brew, which I loved. I picked that one up after that. <laughs> it, was, it was still a good coffee, to be fair, but yeah. The year itself wasn't fantastic, was it? No, no, definitely I'm glad not. the world's moved, moved along a bit since then. Yeah, it has. And you have too, because I remember at that time you had just broken your leg or that season you'd broken your leg. And then also you were starting on all kinds of new adventures. You were telling me about how you'd started reading and you were really into yeah. that. I'm still reading. Yeah. Yeah, still going. I, I went on a little hiatus with my reading recently. It was maybe four months because Alice Barnes, actually, she gave me a book to read, but it was terrible. And it, I'm not the sort of person to just toss aside a book and start a new one. Like, I have to finish the book. But this book was so bad, it took me just forever to get through. Uh, finally, I conquered it, and now I'm onto a really good book, and it's got me hooked. So, yeah, I'm back on track with the reading. But, yeah. Wait, now I need to know what the book was. Oh, it was like around the world in 100 trains, I think. I think that's the name. Yeah, okay. or around the world in 70 trains. It's a, a specific train book. trains. Yeah. It's like um, retelling this woman from London, her adventure going around the world on taking different trains. Yeah. It was just a little bit boring for me. <laughs> yeah. Didn't didn't have Alice pegged as a, as a train gal either, to be honest. So. <laughs> That's true, actually. Everyone <laughs> has hidden interests. Hers must be trains. I do like trains as well, but not quite as much as the lady that wrote the book. So, yeah, I wasn't quite getting into it. No Francis Bourgeois coming out of you soon. No, no, unfortunately not. Uh, and so what's the one you're enjoying now? This is now a book podcast. Mm, I don't actually know the name of it. It's sitting on my couch over there. But, yeah, it's it's good so far. It's getting back into the, to the fiction side of things. So... That's what I like. Mm, a good Something story. Yeah. For sure. Everyone gets into a reading rut too. Like no matter how much you like reading, there's always like these times where you're like, nah, not feeling it now. And you go through phases. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe that's what I went through. But I'm feeling good about my reading now. So thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> no, I was desperate to know. Like I was really excited <laughs> for you. You were like, you were reading, I think it was the Thursday Murder Club you were reading. And I was... I love that book. It was great. It's such a good book. The two of them. There's like a, yeah, there's a sequel now. But I'm not the sort of person to go and read the same book again, no matter how good it was. So I'm just going to leave that one in the past. But yeah, I would recommend that one. 
Okay, well, glad to be carried on with that one. I think, so I'm not remembering all this off the top of my head. I did go back and read it today. If anyone thinks I'm like some sort of encyclopedia, but you're also studying food marketing. Have you finished that now? Actually, I am doing my final paper right now. It's a group project. We all love group projects. So (laughs) that's chugging along nicely. Um, So hopefully I'll be graduating next year. My mum told me that I actually have to like apply to graduate. Like you have to confirm your degree. I didn't realise that was a thing. So I think I missed the most recent graduation. Yeah. So you've actually, I've got to apply to the university to be able to graduate. So I forgot about that part. I didn't know it existed. So that might delay things a little bit. But assuming I get through this group project, then yeah, I'm graduating next year with my degree in food marketing. Exciting. What kind of person are you in a group project? Are you like, the one that's really pushing it forward? Are you the one that like is dragging, dragging ass? I can say it on this podcast. <laughs> or like, yeah, who are you? Yeah, who, what type of person you are in a group project. <laughs> I'm the person that like likes to sit back and go with the flow, but then more often than not, I just end up taking control. Like I have to be honest, the literacy skills of my fellow group members aren't fantastic. So I'm having to really take the reins with that, get in and do some editing, rewrite their parts. They're not cyclists, so they're not going to be listening to this. So it's I was going to say, I hope they're not freewheeling listening today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's not an area that I'm particularly interested in either because I'm doing an agricultural based degree and I'm not really a farming gal. So I'm in the group with with these uh, with these people who are a bit more familiar when it comes to like rural New Zealand and agriculture and farming and horticulture and that's not really my scene. It's just because my degree is based on agriculture, but it's not really like a large part of it. So yeah, I've had to be in a group with these people who know a lot more about it than me. And because this paper is going back to the roots, it's, it's an agricultural paper. I didn't really want to take charge because it's not really my area, but <laughs> I'm sort of having to. So yeah, not a willing leader, but I am the leader at the moment. Fair. Okay. It's like you play in a kind of game of chicken with it. Like how far can I be relaxed until I have to take over? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the one. I wish there was someone else, but no, yeah. no one's sticking up to the mark at the moment. That's unfortunate. So you don't fancy yeah. a bit of tractor driving post-career? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. It's, it's nice to be out on the farm every once in a while. The occasional farm I've been on, but no, can't really see myself living in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's fair. Definitely a city girl. Yeah. Okay. Are you from, you're from a city, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I like my cafes, my urban environments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because last time we spoke, you were just about to go back home to and like do the whole kind of quarantine MIQ thing, which mm. I think, have you done that twice since then? I have. I've done it two times. Ooh. The first time was just mainly novelty value. It was quite like exciting to be in this weird situation. And then the second time was like, get me out of here. <laughs> reality, <laughs> reality hurt. <laughs> yeah. And now, now I'm going to ask you, this is probably one of these questions you've been asked. You had to stay in a hotel, right, for two weeks, so you can't ride outside. Did Zwift save the day? It did, yes. Okay. But also it really prolonged my off-season and I ended up training way too much and just burnt myself out both times because there was nothing else to do, so I would just ride for hours on Zwift. Last year as well, I didn't really want to be riding, but I had nothing else to do and I was stuck in a hotel room and I'm like, well... I'm either Zwifting or I'm just sitting on my bed eating. So I thought, well, I better keep training through it. Give me something to do. <laughs> but yeah, I, my coach wasn't happy with me both times. Just, yeah, too much riding going on and just cooked myself a little bit. So yeah, not wasn't uh-huh. the best time in hindsight. Do you think that's like really played into your season this year? Like, do you think that's had been a lasting effect or? Well, it did mean that I wasn't really training properly until December, January. The first time I actually started training properly for the year was when I came over for a team camp, which was, yeah, actually January. Before then, I'd just been riding my bike and I hadn't been doing any intensity whatsoever and just not much volume um, just to try and get back into into a healthier place. 
And then I was actually still riding okay in February. Like I was still in quite good form. Um, like I was hitting power PBs at the team camp and stuff like that, but I hadn't really been doing too much race specific intervals or endurance or intensity. I was just, yeah, just keeping fit basically. Um, but yeah, I was still, I was still riding actually quite well um, for the first five races or so. And then, yeah, I had my crash. So <laughs> that changed things. Yeah. Tell us about the crash and the aftermath of that. Yeah. Well, I didn't really want to have another serious injury again in the hip region, but unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happened in a very notorious race for crashes, Depana. But unfortunately, I just crashed by myself. I, I just had a section of road that where there was like a difference in services. Surfaces. You know how they talk about the um, the Valley of Death in Belgium. Yeah, it was like that, but on the side of the road. And there was just a slight difference and my wheels got caught in it as the bunch sort of moved to the right of the road um, to head around a corner that was towards the left. So as we pushed out, I didn't see that there was this surface on the side of the road um, until the very last minute. And I remember thinking to myself, uh-oh, <laughs> that looks a little bit a little bit dodgy. And then as soon as I hit it, like I just went straight down onto my hip. And it wasn't... The, I fractured my hip socket, um, but the main reasoning for that was because I already had the metal work in place from my broken femur, and that metal work went up into my um, hip, like the ball and socket. So, so when I landed on the ground, basically the compression of the of the bone and my body meant that the metal from the femur uh, went straight into my into my hip socket. Um, so I fractured my hip socket in the direction that the nail was going into the bone, basically. So, yeah, it was an injury because the metal that was already in there was stronger than the bone. So it was rather unfortunate. Yeah, wow. Ouch. Mm. I'm a bit sick, actually, thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> so then instead of, like, getting rid of the femur nail that caused the injury, that's still in there. And now I also have another plate that's that's around the hip socket instead okay so they didn't remove the the pin from the okay no I'm not quite sure if that's possible actually so yeah my right side is a little bit of a vulnerable point for me yeah you must set off the airport scanners every time eh that's a that's a classic dad joke I haven't heard before (laughs) guys she does though I think it does because sometimes I do get pulled aside and then they bring bring out the little wand. So obviously that set you back quite a bit. And how much time did you have to take away from racing because of that? So I had five weeks off completely. I wasn't allowed to wait there because the injury was in a particularly like fragile point that takes a lot of impact when you're just doing day-to-day things like walking. So it just put too much pressure through. So I had to just be completely non-weight bearing. So I was on crutches for five weeks and then basically until the bone was healed enough to be able to support me when I was walking without compromising it. So then after five weeks, I went and got an x-ray and that confirmed that the plate was still perfectly positioned and the bone had actually consolidated. So it had all joined together. Uh, And that meant that I was able to start weight bearing on it again so as soon as I got that x-ray I just (laughs) then as soon as I was walking back from the from the appointment I just had my crutches to one side and I was attempting to walk again like straight away Um, but it took a wee while to actually get walking properly again maybe another few weeks to to be walking normally just because the muscles were completely asleep but that afternoon I started riding on Zwift again and I built it back up. So I did a couple of weeks on Zwift. And then once I was able to, <laughs> once I was able to get on the bike properly and I felt comfortable on the bike and I was able to actually lift my leg up over the saddle without any dramas and I could unclip and I felt stable on the bike. And also I was walking pretty normally again. Then I went outside. That was maybe after seven or eight weeks. And then I had four weeks or so of solid like training, just getting back into it on the road, doing a few like not intervals, but just more strength efforts and just gradually building things up. And then I did my first race back, which was 
the Mont Ventoux Challenge, and that was after maybe, maybe two and a half months. So that wasn't wasn't the greatest um, event to come back to, bearing in mind I could barely get myself up Owl's Angels. But, yeah, after that I did Tour de Suisse, and then that actually went surprisingly well. That was just before the three-month mark, and then from there I just was training a bit more to, to get in shape for some of the races that were later in the season, like the Commonwealth Games and Tour of Scandinavia. Yeah. And um, to keep yourself sane, I guess, throughout the recovery, I noticed you started making vlogs. Yeah, I've got another one on the go right now. I just need to edit it. I've had lots of people saying, when are the vlogs coming back? So they're coming back, but it just takes up quite a bit of time, I've discovered. Yeah, but do you enjoy doing it? Is that something you... Yeah, it's really fun. I like it. I want to, to get better at the editing side of things because I was just working out how to do things for myself and it was quite challenging just working out how to use the software and like making all the special effects that I wanted to do. <laughs> making, special like, effects. Making the thumbnails as well for um, YouTube. Yeah. Lots to think about. Sound, it's like music. Yeah. And I mean, I don't really want to make them really click babies to get to get more views and to get followers I wanted to grow quite organically but at the same time I want to make it good I want to make it exciting for people so so it's a bit of a challenge it's quite like a I've got a it's a balancing act I think sure so we're not going to see like an all caps video title of like what cyclists really do in Girona or something like this (laughs) I've actually been thinking about doing a, a YouTube video based on Girona I don't know what it would be like. It would be like reasons you shouldn't come to Girona or like things I hated about Girona. But <laughs> quite sure. <laughs> Pretty much. Haven't quite decided on the angle for that one yet though. I think Girona's like real click fodder, to be fair. I think a lot of people want to see videos of Girona, so I reckon that's your best bet. That's true, actually. Yeah, that's a good idea. I might have to do one on Girona. Classic shots of the bridges and maybe not the river right now. It's looking real sad. It's strange, isn't it? What's going to happen to the fish, to the otters that have been swimming in there? Don't, the otters. I I first saw the otters. I'd never seen them my entire time. I first saw them like a few months ago and Sam and I nicknamed them Olive. And then I haven't seen one since and I'm so sad. Like everyone keeps seeing them and I'm like, where the olives gone? Maybe that's why. (laughs) To be honest, I haven't actually spotted them myself, but I have seen pictures although I this is quite a tangent but I know that up in Germany they have a real pest problem with these particular type of uh, like little little river rat things so I didn't know if it was actually they were good or they were just um, pests taking over so I'm not sure if those are actually uh, they're a good thing or not but mm. Yeah, because someone said they weren't actually otters. They were like some sort of rodent. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I refuse to believe that. Like, Yeah, well, these things up in Germany are just these rodents that have taken over and they've, yeah, unwanted. So I don't know if it's good or not. Maybe it's a good thing you're not seeing them. Maybe. Germination. I'll just keep it as like this image in my head of this cute little otter that I can eat olive. (laughs) And then I won't have to think about the fact that it's probably, yeah, like, a pest that's like destroying the environment exactly. yeah yeah but we've covered a wide range of topics on this podcast so far oh i know <laughs> comes a free will in so when you actually got back to racing what was your first race back mon von two you said that's yeah. a pretty that's a baptism of fire <laughs> it was considering my leg still wasn't really working properly like to this day i don't feel comfortable on a bike but back then, like I was very biomechanically like awkward. So it was quite a challenge getting myself over those climbs, but I did it. I just wasn't very fit at all. Very what, bad. Like, why, what, what possessed you? Why was that your first race? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I'm not sure. I was just put in for it. Oh, wait. oh okay. Okay. You didn't yeah, I think the, the team, the team liked to have a full roster at races. And if I was available, I was available. So throw me in fair enough there was no milk in the leg it was just like off you go yeah <laughs> so you broke your hip socket two and a half months ago oh, that's nothing <laughs> Get back out there. wow to be fair that's pure cycling mentality yeah exactly and then we got part way through the race and I had um 
there's a funny story. I had Elise, Elise Shabby behind me and I was at the front and she was, yeah, she was second wheel. And this attack, this just this one lone attack went on the, the far, like the far left-hand side of the road. We were on the right. And I was like, I'd already said at the start, like, please don't rely on me. Like, don't overestimate me. I'm so unfit. And this attack went and I thought, it's one attack. It's fine. Like, it, it was an FDJ rider, but there was still like Mont Bon 2 and 30 more K to go. So I thought, that's fine. Just let it go. Just let other people chase it. And then I hear Elise going behind me, Ella, Ella, chase it. Well, like, and then she said, let me through. I was like, whoa, all right, calm down. <laughs> I didn't even have a chance to move. Next thing I know, I have Elise coming up the right-hand side of me, bearing in mind we're on the far right-hand side of the road. And then, and it's gravel beside me and she's sort of like skirting with the edge of the road. And next thing I know, she's crashed herself out and I get the blame for it. <laughs> oh, it was pretty funny. We can laugh about it now. I think she finally realises that, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of an overreaction, perhaps her mistake. But yeah, it was, it was a funny moment. Just trying to get a gap that wasn't there, literally. Wasn't yeah, there. just sent it through a gap that yeah didn't really exist so then tried to do it on the gravel didn't end well well I mean you have to try I guess yeah exactly at least she was keen I wasn't <laughs> I mean fair given the circumstances so yeah. then it was Tour de Suisse yes which if I recall was torrential rain at least on yeah, one day it, it was on the final stage yeah Hmm. How was that? It was actually pretty good. Like I played quite a good team role there, surprisingly. Um, the hill criterion was awful, uh, as I expected on the first day. I had like a 500-meter climb every single lap. I think we did 12 laps maybe. It might have been a two-minute climb. But, yeah, because I hadn't done any intensity, it, was, yeah, it wasn't good for me. So, And also it was a real fight for, for position, and I wasn't keen on doing that. So, so I just found myself in the group here, but it was quite large. So, yeah, that was a wrap. And then there was a, a time trial and it was the most horrific experience of my life. It was awful. Like I didn't have a following car. Um, I didn't have a radio, like anyone radioing in to me because the follow car basically went to the start line too late. And I just had a whole lot of stress as well leading up to the start because like I started my warm-up too late and then, yeah, got into the race and I think I started out going the speed I'd normally be able to go pre-injury and, yeah, that didn't end well. So I was just pleased to get that done. But then the next two stages, like, yeah, I could hang in actually surprisingly well, like on the 20-minute climb and I think I did one of my better 20-minute hours for the year to hang in there. And then on the final stage, we actually had quite a cool um, – team tactic where we basically did a team time trial on the front for the first 50k I mean nobody sees this because you know women's racing doesn't have full coverage but as soon as the flag dropped um in the neutral section we had all of us all six of us at the front and we had Lisa Klein just drilling it and we just had all of us lined out from kilometer zero all six of us and just peloton sort of um, like fanning out behind and for the first 30k Lisa was basically just doing an individual time trial that was her goal and I saw nobody else for the first 30k I only saw Lisa's bum it was so nice <laughs> like I just followed her there was just no stress and then for the next 20k it was my turn and then I did 20k on the front um, to lead into this first climb and basically the aim was to just try and create pressure on the others and just um, see if we could create a little bit of stress because we had Paulina high up on GC, I think. And there were also other riders like Kristen Faulkner. And we thought perhaps we could create a little bit of tension and create a bit of stress for them. Um, you create so, yeah. your own, I guess, at the end of that stage. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We didn't need to do it. Uh, <laughs> eventually, eventually we cracked her, but it was a bit too late. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was, it was a, it was a cool race. Nice. And so is kind of playing a team role something that you're more comfortable with now? Is that like kind of what you've slotted into doing? Yeah, I guess because my physiology doesn't really lend itself to, to really going for the wins. I'm, in order to win a race or to do well in a race, 
it would have to be more of an opportunistic move because I'm very much a diesel rider. I don't have much punch or acceleration, so it's really difficult for me to follow attacks on climbs or when when some of the like the better riders would attack um, towards the end of a race. Like I'm just not really able to do that. I'm not able to respond to the changes in pace and acceleration, but it's something I'd like to to get better at. But I'm definitely more a rider who would have to take opportunities in order to win a race because yeah, I can't sprint either. So I'd literally have to come to the line by myself. So because of that, um, my physiology definitely allows me to be more of a domestique sort of rider, but that's definitely something I enjoy. And I also enjoy more of the, like the tougher attritional races, like the hillier races where slowly the peloton reduces over time. People go out the back rather than off the front. And I think it's in situations like that where I can do really well, but because of just these injuries that I've had, I haven't really had a chance to just have a clean run of things for a while and gain some momentum and confidence. But yeah, I'm hoping that's something I can do next year. Yeah. And obviously next year, now you're moving to a new team, to the Kalwahu. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, is that, was that a decision born out of the need for change or to go to an ostensibly smaller team for more opportunities kind of yeah yeah tell me about that at the start of the year I was uh thinking about moving like I, I was um I was wanting to explore my options and then I had my um I had my injury and I thought mm, it's probably best if I just stay put and just get back to the level where I was and just regain my confidence and at that time the team gave me assurance that um, I would have security for the next year and that they'd, they still wanted to talk to me um, and offer me something for the next year. So that was fine. Um, so I was I was pretty happy. I was like comfortable with that because I thought yeah, that's probably the best move at the moment. Um, and then things dragged on and it's just classic. Like with teams, I don't really know how contract business works, but basically what I've learned is that you know, you can't, I don't know, you can't really trust people and that cycling is such a business and you're just seen as an asset at the end of the day. And I had these, I continued talking with the team, but nothing ever eventuated. And I ended up feeling quite betrayed and like there wasn't really respect shown both ways when I'd been in the team for four years. And I was continued, I was continually told that just wait a little bit longer um, and then we can sort things out. But in the end, I sort of came to my own conclusion that I was getting led on a little bit and deep down I knew that I needed the change. So I wasn't going to wait around. So in the end, yeah, I was in contact with um, the Kowahu. And actually at the start of the year, I had two teams that I wanted to go to. It was either EF or the Kowahu. So I was really pleased to, to get into discussions with them and from like the outset it sounded like the sort of team that I wanted to go to, just the vibes, being British, like really cool group of people and also having more opportunities and being able to rediscover myself again, like just get some fresh motivation because I've been in the same team for four years and I think if I were to continue in the team next year, it would just feel a little bit like Groundhog Day. Like I wouldn't be getting any fresh, renewed enthusiasm from anywhere, like a change of scenery and I don't know what another team is like like I don't know what another team environment could be like so I might really thrive somewhere else I don't know what another team could offer or what it would be like so I thought well I need to take this opportunity and just yeah see see what will happen basically so I'm really excited to try something new yeah that's great I think it's really brave as well to kind of recognize that you need the change and to Obviously, they're a continental team too, so you're kind of stepping away from the World Tour, although there's rumours flying about World Tour applications. I honestly have no yeah, idea what's going on. Yeah, it's getting quite interesting, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was. it involves too much maths for me, if I'm honest. Like, <laughs> I've been trying to, like, work out, like, who's where and all that stuff, but... Um, yeah, well, I understand that Plantapura did apply for the World Tour licence. I believe Lakoa, who did as well, but it's only recently been, i.e. the past hour, that it's been announced that Plantapura applied for it and Lakola behind Plantapura, but they're now in front of Sarah Tizzit, who were the, the front runners for it initially. Mm-hmm. So if Plantapura hadn't applied for it, then Lakola would be getting it. But I think, 
yeah, Plantapura's snuck in there. They've had a good end of season. They really snuck in there in terms of applying for it too because, I mean, yeah. off mic, like I thought I had the inside track on this and <laughs> was told that it wasn't happening and then they come out to Velo News and say that they're applying for it and I was just like, Yeah, it's happened okay. right underneath your nose, hasn't it? No. But I, te- I texted Tom today and he said for 2024 it was the goal. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's the plan, yeah. Cool. Anyway, so it'll be nice record. to like work with the team. It'll be nice to like be in the team and sort of work together and hopefully be able to help the team grow and get to that point and grow myself as well. Like I think I've still got a lot to a lot to learn and a lot to actually show because I don't think I've really shown my true potential in a road race yet. Because like I said earlier, I just haven't had the the clean run of things. So it'll be nice to just leave these injuries behind. And be one of these people that seemingly never gets injured. That's that's the dream. There are some people they just they just go about their cycling career and they've never seemed to have like a bad injury or a bad crash. Whereas, oh, I'm just a shit magnet. <laughs> Why? What do you think? Like, obviously, some of it is just pure luck. Because like sometimes you just never know what's going to happen in front of you. Like, but yeah. in terms of like skills and handling and stuff like that, like, is that something you've consciously like worked on? Is it something you've struggled with? I suppose also it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like when you crash, you're a bit more nervous. Yeah, but actually like I'm completely fine in a bunch. Like I have no fears. Well, obviously like I think to myself, oh, this is getting a bit dodgy. I don't really want to be here because I could crash. But I'm not the sort of person, I don't don't think I'm a dodgy rider. You know, like I think my bike handling and my skills are pretty good. And I like to think of myself as quite a good descender as well. Like I don't know what other people would think about that, but I think like on a bike, I've got good handling. But then it's also hard to know if you're maybe that person that other teams talk about at the dinner table and they're they're like, oh, that Ella Harris, she's so annoying in the bunch. Did you see what she did to me today? Like perhaps I'm one of those people, but but I don't think I am. Like I don't think I'm an annoying hazard in the bunch. Like I think I ride my bike well. So it's not necessarily, it's never really, it's never really been me crashing myself out necessarily. Like it's generally just a bit of bad luck. Like when I crashed at Strada, the day before Strada Bianchi, it was a corner that like a couple other riders had also crashed on that day. There was something to do with the road surface and it was just like a slide out. And then the same with, I mean, Japan, it was, my wheels just got caught in something. Like it's not anything I've done myself. It's just more been situational. So yeah, it's hard to know. Yes, it's just one of those things like you can have like a run of bad luck. So hopefully it's over now. <laughs> mm. But I also think I'm a little bit fragile as well. So when I do land, some people might survive the crash better than me. <laughs> Perhaps okay. I need crash pads. <laughs> I was that something, because do you have, in terms of like, you know, bone density scans and stuff like that, is that actually something you have an issue with or is it? Yeah, yeah. My bones okay. aren't fantastic. So it's definitely something that's like playing on the back of my mind quite heavily. It's like some people crash, like even just riding down the street, if I were to crash, like I don't really know what would happen to me. Like you think, oh, you just get up and you'd be fine, but perhaps I'd do something. Like I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a worry, but yeah, most of the time I crash and I'm fine. But when I have a bad crash, I have a bad crash. This episode is also brought to you by Shimano and their new GRX RX870 carbon gravel wheels. Tested by Shimano's top gravel athletes and proven on the roads of Unbound, the new GRX carbon wheels are lightweight, responsive, and ready for any mixed surface. The 25mm internal rim width is designed for tires ranging from 32 to 50mm, and Shimano's cup and cone hub provides proven reliability no matter how far down the road less traveled your adventure takes you. Thank you so much to Shimano for sponsoring this episode. Well, fingers crossed you get a clean run next year. Yeah. In the next few years. (laughs) And to go back to kind of... Sorry, go on. No, you continue. No, I was just going to say, to go back to kind of moving teams and having a change and all that, do you think it's good too? Because obviously like being on Canyon, having started there through Zwift Academy I guess mm. it kind of still follows you around a bit more there and you're always kind of like the Zwift rider 
Are you looking forward to kind of shedding that a bit with the coal? Yeah, it sounds really bad, but I would quite like to lose the label. Like I'm getting it. It doesn't, it just like, I have the utmost respect and like, I cannot thank Zwift enough for what they've done for me over these years. But at the same time, like I do get a little bit, a little bit annoyed, a little bit drained having the Zwift Academy label. Like I like to think that, yeah, I don't necessarily need to be associated with it so much anymore. Like it's still, like I'm not trying to hide it or trying to like um, forget the fact that I came through the Zwift Academy. But at the same time, I like to think that I'm just the same as any other rider in the peloton and I'm not any weaker or any different because I came through the Zwift Academy. Like I'm just, I'm just another rider. It doesn't make me, yeah. It doesn't make me any different. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of, it's moved on a little bit too, because I think like initially there was a bit of a stigma. I remember asking you about it before and you kind of said like there is this like, people look at you a bit sideways like as a Zwift rider in the beginning. And I think like from the first one, it was kind of a bit like, oh, it just anyone comes through it. And I think the first winner was like really quite new to racing. Whereas now it's almost like, a pathway for people from countries like New Zealand, Australia, America, places that aren't traditional cycling countries or that it's hard to come over to Europe from, but have already been racing. Mm, And it's actually interesting because there are some riders in the women's peloton at the moment who are doing really well, who were actually semi-finalists in the Zwift Academy or they didn't, they didn't make the finals, but they were actually identified through the Zwift Academy. Like Olivia Barrill, she was a, fin- a semi-finalist one year. And also Veronica Ewers, she was a semi-finalist maybe the year after me. So it's quite interesting to see, yeah, it's quite interesting to see the riders who have actually made the step up and the performing at the highest level. And they were identified through the Zwift Academy. And you wonder what would have happened if that actually made it a little bit further. And also oh. um, a writer from Massey Tactic, um, who I think is moving to the World Tour next year, uh, Natalie Eklund. She was, a, she was a semi-finalist two years in a row. So, yeah, fun facts for you. <laughs> yeah, that's inter- I didn't know about um, Olivia Burrell and Veronica yeah. years as well. I wonder also yeah. if, like, some of that is kind of like then they get the confidence of, like, oh, yeah, I actually am really good because I made it this far in that too. That's interesting. Yeah, perhaps. Hmm. Um, Wow, I've just given myself a dead end of questions. Um, <laughs> sorry. I was also trying really hard not to give you, like, the classic Zwift questions, but I think we've done enough. We've done enough Zwift. That was that was Zwift. Yeah, done. We can talk a bit more about Zwift. Those are good questions. You didn't even, like, the little switch in my brain didn't even flicker, like, oh, Zwift question. Because it was <laughs> the original one. It's not like, how did it feel after winning the Zwift Academy? What was it like? <laughs> Join a professional team. Oh no. Do people still just go with that? That's boring. Yeah. yeah. I got questions via email the other day and it was the most tedious, tedious list. No, that yeah, no. How has your life changed? Where would you be if you hadn't won the Zwift Academy? Yeah. Probably in the same similar position though. I feel like a lot of people actually talking about that because there's actually so much talent coming out of New Zealand especially on the women's side in the last few years what's going on down there I don't really know actually especially after COVID I think people in New Zealand have been pent up and they just want to get out so (laughs) so you've got you've got these cyclists who are like now's the time get me out of here and they're coming to Europe and they're racing but yeah it's it's interesting we have a lot of riders coming through like there's Ella Wiley um on Park Hotel she's the Oceania under 23 champion and she's yeah she's a really good rider and then there's also um, a rider who's signed for Yumbo Visma next year uh doesn't have much experience in Europe at all but I think that's more a move based on power numbers oh Kim uh, really yeah she's really well up Mont too. um so yeah it'll be interesting to see how she goes because I think Yumbo in particular, are a really good team when it comes to development. Maybe other teams not so much, but, I mean, they've taken a rower and they've taken a speed skater 
and they're doing really well in the professional peloton, like bike handling and tactics wise. So it'll be interesting to see. Oh, yeah. Speaking of kind of talent coming out of New Zealand, obviously we've got Nee Fisher Black, who just won the under 23 world title. However, mm. you chose, obviously, for anyone who doesn't know, the New Zealand Federation basically said you guys have to fund your own way to the world championships in Australia. Yeah. Tell the listeners what you decided to do instead of self-fund your way to work. <laughs> well, first of all, I just want to clarify that I don't have any any bad feelings towards cycling New Zealand. I think they've been slated a little bit in the media, but they literally have no money. Like you can't pull money out of thin air. They had 55, they have, I think. worth of funding for the entirety of road, for their road program for the whole year. Um, I don't know what that goes into, running events and whatnot, but $45,000 is not a lot to fund a discipline of cycling um, for a country. And then they decided to contribute an extra $50,000 from their coffers. I don't know where the money came from. They've got savings, obviously. <laughs> they contributed $50,000 to um, the campaign for Road Worlds, which was, I mean, over, over the amount that they had actually for the entirety of the year um, from High Performance Sport New Zealand. So because of that, you can't really slate them for the fact that they asked riders to fund their own way because, I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. But when I did the maths, I was like, this is just, it's exorbitant. Like it's too much money to spend on a race where in my current form, I might get top 30 at best. So I think it was going to cost me 5,000 euros at the minimum. Um, And I just couldn't justify that. So I bought a car. That's what I did. (laughs) His name's Bruno. And we're driving to Tour of Romandy together. So it's quite exciting. Amazing. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's brought a lot of joy to my life. <laughs> no, to be fair, having a car is so useful here and you can like just go to the beach and like. Exactly. Oh. But Girona is such a walkable city, but then I've been walking around it for four years now and I just would like a little bit of freedom. So, and rental cars are expensive. Oh. So in the end, like the investment will pay off. For sure. Definitely. Mm. Are you planning to drive to races where you can as well then? To I think show so, Bruno yeah. off? Yeah, yeah. Road flying. Drive them around. <laughs> well, it's already like 700k to Romandy, so I think I'm quite a keen driver to go to, to go that far. <laughs> wow. Have you got some podcasts lined up, some playlists? Yeah, exactly. That's what I do. Yeah, he's got a good ox cable, so it's fine. Ideal. <laughs> Love that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you about too is you've been doing quite a bit of gravel riding lately. Yeah. Are you it. planning to make that part of your race program or is it just for fun? It's just for fun at the moment because I think it's just nice to have another sort of bike to take out. It's just nice to have some variety and to a bit, a bit of balance because sometimes riding a road bike and doing intervals and that's all you do. It just gets quite monotonous. So it's nice to have something for the, for the mind just to yeah keep things fresh and exciting. And also I quite like riding the gravel because it, I, it just makes me feel a bit stronger on the bike. Like I think it's good for muscle activation and good for strength and it just makes me feel a bit more stable. So yeah, I quite like to ride it because of that as well. But this year I did a couple of gravel races. I did, the, well, recently I did the Rancho, which was um, down in Yeda in Spain, and that was 160k. And I only did that because we were supposed to be racing the Grimpul Grimpuith race. It's like a two-day climbing tour race in Belgium that just happened recently. But then we didn't end up getting a start for that. So it freed up my weekend and I was like, perfect, I'm off to the gravel race. But I mean, I've just been funding it myself and just to have a bit of fun. Um, and then I was, I went to an event organized by, well, that Canyon was sponsoring last weekend. So that was, that was also quite cool to get out on the gravel, but yeah, that was more of a a sponsor, um, commitment, but I'd like to do some more gravel races. I was hoping to do worlds, but unfortunately it's the same weekend as Romandy. 
And I wanted to put my focus towards the road and finish off the season on the road because I didn't really want to finish my road season at Simic Ladies Tour. It just didn't seem like a very nice, <laughs> nice way to end it. It's not the most inspirational race to finish things off, especially my final race with Canyon Strand, which is the ending on a, you know, on an average note in the Netherlands. So I thought I can do better than that. Let's go to Romandie. So yeah, it'll be good to to finish off the road season there. Although Gravel Worlds would be nice as well. Why is everything on this weekend? This weekend is like insanely busy. Is that? There's been, yeah, there's like Romandie, Gravel Worlds, Lombardia, the first cross World Cups. And there's been like nothing for two weeks. And then it's just like, here's everything at once. And I'm just like. It's true. They could have put it last weekend. That would have been quite good. But yeah, I was thinking maybe things will get better next year, but no, the calendar will just get more jam-packed. I think it's like. You've either got to decide either gravel or road. Like you can't, you can't do both. You reckon? I don't. You can't do both well. Mm. I'm sure that like, you could have a compromised, um, reduced road program and then do gravel maybe every alternate weekend. But yeah, also the the UCI gravel races. I think the series like the locations are quite quite remote, so it would be a lot of travel and it would probably be quite a stress. Um, yeah. try to do both so it's the sort of thing I'd like to just fit in when I can fair enough yeah I mean the women's world tour calendar is already chocker it's actually oh, yeah exactly yeah 71 race days this year or something oh, from like 30 something last year yeah so, I think that they're adding a few more next year aren't they I th- maybe I think yeah I mean we kind of talk about a lot how kind of they need to there needs to be bigger teams and people like, you know, teams that can afford to run like dual programs and pay people properly and all that kind of thing before they kind of keep adding to the. Yeah, exactly. Just keep adding more races and hope for the best. Yeah. And also <laughs> just let people off for not having live coverage, like Ride London. So, <laughs> Actually, are they World Tour next year or are they Point Pro? They're, they're World Tour. Are they? They apparently showed proof that they were they had contracts for live coverage, even though that's not really how it's meant to go. They're supposed to be demoted, then kind of prove they can do it, then get promoted again. But so that's what happened oh. to the Giro. And then, but no, apparently they're still World Tour, so. It seems like such an exhibition event this year. But oh, exhibition yeah. without coverage. It just, it's not an inspiring event. It's not really the show. that you're like, yes, I want to go to Ride London. It's yeah. it's just nothing. Yeah, very strange. Like kind of even as a spectator, I don't think it's like that inspiring, just like a pan flat race. Maybe the crit in London. They should just keep it as the crit on its own. Yeah, that's true. But also they had some quite nice, like when they had the men's race at Ride London, they used to go around the Surrey Hills and, mm. and yeah, 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 like, like the Olympic race. Fox Hill. Mm. Do Box yeah. Hill in real life as well as on Zwift. <laughs> there you go. You can practice for Ride London on Zwift. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Actually, though, my Mont Ventoux race, Zwift came in handy for that. I already knew what I was in for because I'd done the Tour de France on Zwift back in 2020 and I'd been up Mont Ventoux. So I sort of recognised a few of the areas. It's quite realistic. Really? Like, did it actually feel like you knew it when you were there? Yeah. Yeah. Because the day after the race, we rode up the side that is on Zwift. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I recognised the corner where we finished the race. (laughs) Love that. Have they asked you to go to the, you know, the Mallorca camp thing that they have for the finalists? You Mm. you didn't go last year, did you? Or did you? No, I didn't. I was back in New Zealand. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wanted to go, but with the hotel quarantine and, having to like arrive on the exact day with your little voucher didn't really work out. <laughs> oh, my God. What a military you... system that was. Ridiculous, no? Like, yeah. I got it in the beginning, but then eventually it's like, come on, guys. Come on, Jacinda. It's getting old now. <laughs> <laughs> Get a grip, love. Yeah. Honestly, also, how expensive. I literally booked a one-way flight for the 26th of December. 2,400 euros. To New Zealand? 
One way though, 2000. Oh, yeah. I think it was Christmas. You should have used me as your travel agent. I found a good flight. I got 1,600 euros. (laughs) Return? No, one way. Way. But that was, that was good. That was like a good finding for me when I was looking at it. Yeah, nothing was below like 2,000 that I was looking at. What airline Uh, is it? Korean Air. It's quite rogue. I know. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit dubious about it. I'm not quite sure what to expect. It's a new offering. I haven't seen Korean Air flying to New Zealand before, so it's a bit exciting, like new territory, uncharted. Mix it up a bit, eh? Yeah. You give exactly. a guinea pig for that one. Maybe I'll figure that one out for another time. <laughs> fly it on the return leg. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I haven't got a flight back yet. Maybe I'll just start a new life. Yeah. yeah. Just stay there. It's yeah. too far away for people to come and try and find you. That is true. Not that I'm like running away from people, to be honest, but maybe. Start off a new life. <laughs> Just be like, bye, Sam. See you when you retire. Just got to live with the family. <laughs> yeah. So when are, you, when are you going back this year? Uh, the 17th of October. Not that far away. Oh, really soon. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, I have an appointment, unfortunately, on the 21st. So... I need to book a flight that got me back in time. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Got to have uh, some renovations done on the collarbone. And another okay. one. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully get that sorted fairly soon. I didn't, I'd forgotten you had a, a collarbone injury too. Oh, yeah. Oh, she had been in the wars. <laughs> yeah. I've tried a bit of everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And in comparison to the hip, the collarbone is just like a knee scrape. It's fine. Really? That's how, like, the in, that scale of injury. Like, a collarbone <laughs> will be a two. Oh, my hip, gosh. Because people say collarbones. The hip would be an eight. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because people say collarbones are, like, so painful. Like, someone said they're like, this is, like, a nine. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah, they're painful, but you can recover quite fast. But the femur was like the worst pain I've ever been, and that was so bad. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So apart from your collarbone renovations, what else are you going to get up to when you go home? Are you looking forward to it? I am, yeah. Although, actually, like, the more I think about off-season and the fact that I don't have any races from next week, I think to myself, oh, that would just be quite nice to stay around Girona. Like I'm quite quite content just being over here, and like it's nice to go back home and see my family and see my dog as well. But then when I get there, it's just quite boring. There's not really that much to do. Like, yeah, it's not much happening over that side of the world. It's exciting for a bit, but then you're like, oh, I'd like to go back now where there's actually actually something happening. But I think I'm supposed to come over for a team camp in December, so I'll be looking forward to that. And then I'll have. Hopefully my collarbone surgery happens before that and I'm in a fit state to travel. So it's a bit of a time crunch. But then after that, I'll do Tour Down Under, I think, and Cadal Evans and then Nationals. And then I'll come back over to Europe in February, maybe. Okay. Uh, there's also a couple of gravel events happening in New Zealand in November. So depending on the timing of the collarbone uh, events, then maybe I'll be able to do some gravel races over there, which would be quite cool. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. Mm. And get some more racing in as well. Well, just some base training, just have a bit of fun. Nice. Yeah. And have you got kind of like goals, things you're looking forward to next year, or are you just trying to like go in fresh, kind of just see how it goes kind of thing? I think so, yeah. I don't really have too many expectations of what I'll be doing next year. Like I don't, I don't really know what, the team are going to put me in for or what they want me to concentrate on yet. But I suspect that I'll probably be able to do a few more races that are suited to me and I won't just get thrown into races so much. So that'll be quite nice. I'll be able to actually concentrate and maybe peak a little bit more for certain races that I want to do really well in. And to be completely honest, I haven't really had a chance to truly work out what sort of races suit me. I've never done the Ardennes before. I was supposed to do those this year, but then obviously things happened, so I wasn't able to. And I haven't done 
as many of the the Spanish style races that I, that I would like. The longer climbs, not so punchy, um, and like not too much acceleration involved, and a few more like twisty technical descents. Races like Itzulia and yep. um, like the Navarra Classics. I'd quite like to do those sorts of races again, and more just. And also races like Flanders. I haven't done any of the true spring classics before. And I think because they're quite tough attritional races and I'm quite a stubborn person and I can just go and go and go, I think they could probably suit me quite well, but I don't really know. So it would not, it would be nice to, to give those a, a good go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you say about the Spanish races, you got a top 10 in 2020 in one of those, didn't you? Then I think yeah, I did. You crashed yeah. in the other one. <laughs> I, crashed, I crashed in the neutral zone I think yeah I, I was there I think I remember that happening oh, maybe was that? to be honest that could have been my fault I'm not quite sure <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it has to be but oh well yeah, everyone's done it domino effect everyone getting really excited off the line and then suddenly meeting the neutral car and then brakes and then there was me <laughs> well yeah because also those were like the first races back after lockdown so everyone must have been like coiled springs ready to go that's that's true actually that probably didn't help things (laughs) let's get at it (laughs) getting into the neutral zone yeah and I remember you saying as well that you were really keen to do the Ardennes and that you thought they would suit you yeah I feel like yeah I think like in 2020 and almost this year as well I've just put a bit of a pause on being able to progress and try new things. So I hope next year will be one of those years where I'm able to do that. Uh, towards the end of last year, like the second half of last year, I was finally getting over the setbacks that I was still having from from the from injuries that I was that I had like over the summer. So I was able to to really do some good races at the end of last season and um, develop a little bit. But then this year, yeah, I haven't really done too much of that um, because the year's mostly been taken up by the hip socket. But yeah, I'm hoping that the upwards trajectory and progression can continue again next year, hopefully, because I don't really like to plateau. I like to be, I like to be in the mix. I like to be competitive <laughs> and yeah, be beating people. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I mean, that's things. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the mentality you have to have. So fair enough. Yeah. No, well, yeah, hopefully you get um, the opportunity next year to to really get, yeah, a clean run up to to some mm. goals and, and carry on progressing because obviously there was something that got you the the win at Zwift Academy and, you know, it'd be yeah. nice to see you be able to actually, to actually explore that a bit without injury. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It's like, even now I know that I have, I have the power, but it's just about putting things together in the races and almost like the finer details that people don't think about so much, like the repeatability of efforts and endurance and actually being able to like stay mentally concentrated for that long, because that's some of the things that you lose when you've been out with injury and they take a while to come back. So yeah, it's that sort of thing that once I am able to put all those pieces back together again and actually also do races and have like a calendar that suits me quite well then I think I'll be able to be able to do some good things yeah nice sounds like things are on the up anyway yeah I'm ready for next year now (laughs) (laughs) no good that's good I mean yeah speaking of mentally concentrating for a long time I've kept you for like an hour now so I should probably let you go (laughs) that's all right I have to do some study now so yeah. Oh yeah. Good luck with your group project. Oh, thank you. It's, it's actually like, it's not the group project I need to do at the moment. Cause I'm also, I decided to sign up for like some communications papers. So I just felt like exploring a bit of journalism, you know, Ooh. exploring your scene. Like he's coming for my job. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Just some first year journalism papers, but got some articles to write. Nice. So get cracking on that. Yeah. That's exciting. I mean, is that something you think about? Like, is that like a, oh, I might want to do this when I retire from cycling kind of thing? Or is it just for fun? 
I think so, yeah. Like, I'm quite interested in journalism and writing and reading articles and just the general, like, marketing and the press side of things. So, yeah, I thought I would just start to dabble in that a little bit. Nice. I haven't really learned much. I couldn't work out myself so far, but I think you get that with first-year papers. (laughs) Probably, yeah. I mean, I didn't study journalism. Like, you just... You can just, oh. if you can write, it's fine. Like, you just learn you it. Go. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I get enough mic. Sorry? You just got to learn the format of things. I'm a bit verbose. I use too many words. So, <laughs> that's my issue. I need to be You're like, look at my vocabulary. <laughs> I feel like everyone's like that in the beginning, though. I just add words in for the sake of it. <laughs> just little adverbs and things that don't need to be there. I mean, yeah, the less less is more when it comes to writing, but for sure you like get excited sometimes and you're like, I want to show off what I know. <laughs> um, thanks, Elle Harris, for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Um, best of luck with everything that's coming up in the 2023 season and collarbone refurbishments and group projects and <laughs> all of that <laughs> stuff. Thank you very much. It's been a fun chat. We've covered a variety of things. Mm-hmm.